Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed and proud member of the C-Suite Network. Uh, we're going to have a really great conversation today about leadership. I have with me Alan Hunkins, who is a professional speaker, a professional author, a facilitator, a coach, a TEDx speaker, uh, and you know an all-around pretty interesting person who's got a lot of, I think, interesting perspectives on leadership. His latest book is Breaking the Code. So, Alan, let's just start there. What Thanks so it? much for what? No, thank you so much for having me, Evan. I'm excited to be here with you today. Oh, my pleasure. What's it mean to break the code? Yeah, so the book's title is Cracking the Leadership Code. What does it mean to crack the leadership code? Well, I've done a lot of... lot of correction. No worries. That's what I'm here for. Sure. So here's the thing. You know, I've done a lot of research into leadership, and on average, only about 23% of people think leaders lead well, which tells me that we've got a lot of room for improvement. So why is it that leadership is such a mystery? Now, what I realized is that on anonymous surveys, people feel very comfortable talking about how bad their leaders are. But for most people in most organizations, going up to your leader and saying, you're actually really mediocre would be a seriously career-limiting move. And a lot of leaders don't create an environment where they ask for that kind of honesty and openness. And so what I realized is that there are certain fundamental human skills, which any facilitator and trainer will be familiar with if they've led a training, is that leaders to do their roles well need to do three things. They need to connect, they need to communicate, and they need to collaborate. So the subtitle of the book are the three secrets to building strong leaders. And I really approach this from a facilitative point of view. That is, the leader of the past was all about command and control, but the leader of the future is really about facilitating, moving knowledge from where it is to where it needs to be so it can be translated into insight and ultimately, ultimately applied wisdom to make best decisions to create best results. Interesting. Um, so when you work with people, what is it that you notice shifts and changes as a result of the work that you do? Or if someone read the book, what would you anticipate would be the results that people would see? Sure. Well, it starts by taking a look at, I'm a big believer that if you don't know where you came from, you can't know where you're going. So the book starts with a section on context. That is, why are we in the mess that we're in? This, why are we mired in the mediocrity of leadership that we are? And I actually go all the way back to the dawn of the industrial age with someone named Frederick Winslow Taylor, who's considered the father of scientific management, and how it's Taylor's mindset and beliefs around employees, specifically that employees were not to be trusted, that they would work as slowly as possible to try to convince their employers they were working at a good pace. Taylor also believed the ideal workmen, and these were men at the time, obviously, Ideal workmen should be so stupid, and I'm quoting, by the way, so stupid <laughs> as, to, as to resemble an ox more like any other type. So we have to remember that 
leadership as we know it was born in the industrial age where 95% of the workforce was doing repetitive manual labor in a factory. Clearly, that is not the world we live in. So the first thing I want to show people is where do your beliefs around leadership even come from? Because you have to take a look at your beliefs and your mindset before you can start to make any significant changes. As anyone who works in the training field knows, is you can teach a bunch of tools, tips, techniques, you know, do this, do that, A, B, and C. However, if people don't start with the affective learning domain, that is the heart and the belief system behind it, none of that training tools and tips will stick. So it's really, for me, it starts with the belief and I bring that to life with lots of stories because we know that storytelling is one of the most powerful ways to evoke emotion and inspiration in people, just like anyone would do in a training room when they're teaching a class. So using lots of stories, using lots of research and data. So this isn't just stuff I put on the back of a cocktail napkin. So I'm pulling on lots of meta-analysis and research. And then once we get into the actual techniques, how do we break it down to specific behaviors? Because we can talk concept all day, but no one can go and apply a concept. So when it comes to connection, I have a whole series of behaviors. These are things that you can actually do. Same thing with communication and collaboration. So an example for, a, you know, if we look at communication, I look at here are five different stumbling blocks that are gonna get in your way to keep you from being a good communicator. And here are six things that you can do to specifically become a better communicator. A simple example is you can ask for a receipt. So we're all familiar with receipts. We get them all the time. Receipts in life, we usually buy something, we get a receipt because it is a proof of a completed transaction. However, in communication, instead of a money transaction, we have a transaction of information. And so it's amazing how often we will give information and then trust that it's just been gotten without actually confirming. So this idea of asking for a receipt and the story behind this actually comes from the fast food industry. So you might remember this, Evan, but in the 1980s is when the drive-throughs really started in the fast food industry. And when they first came out, drive-through, the process was a nightmare. It was really common for people to go up to the, win to the intercom, place their order, and then they'd show up to the window and the order would be all wrong. And this was consistent across the industry for the first two to three years. And then suddenly, drive-through mistake rates started to plummet. And what was the simple fix? It was so simple, Evan. Basically, let's say you went up and you ordered in the intercom. You said, I want to get three cheeseburgers, three orders of fries, and three Cokes. Well, before they processed the order, they'd repeat back, Okay, sir, that's uh, three cheeseburgers, three fries, and three Cokes. Is that right? And you'd say yes. And then, poof, we have confirmed understanding, right? And it's amazing how that changed the game in terms of drive-through. Now, if you think about how many, how many of us have business meetings where we throw around ideas and potentially things that someone in the meeting is going to do, and then time's up and we leave. We don't actually spend the time during the meeting to go, okay, so Evan, what are you exactly going to do and walking away from here? what are you going to do? And for us to confirm what it is. So again, a very simple, practical tool. Again, if we take that into the training room, if we're just training people on ideas, but we never get down to the calls to action. Now, what's one specific thing you're going to do? There will be no behavior change. We won't get anywhere near moving up the Kirkpatrick levels of training, right? We'll just be hanging out in smile sheets. So <laughs> that's really what we're looking at. So the book is designed to be effective at the behavioral level, looking at the fundamental leadership skills of connection, communication, and collaboration. It was interesting when 
I give a presentation myself or people read my book, the biggest question I always get, which I'm, of course I'm going to ask you in a few seconds, is this is amazing. How do I get my boss to get it? And, you know, like, should I sneak them the book? Um, and and the, re the reason I'm asking this is you're describing changing beliefs. It's really difficult to do because beliefs come from being, you know, when you're a little child, you know, uh, you know I, I, I talk a lot about the millennial generation. I love the millennial generation because their belief system is very different than what you and I got. You know, watching American TV about the role of the boss, and you never question the boss, and the younger generation, which is much more willing to share ideas and, and, and be open. But, you know, so, you know, my question is okay, great. Someone who chooses your book is making a choice that they wish to learn, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So they are likely to say, okay, I paid money, I'm going to read this book and I'm interested in this topic. If you work for someone who has not chosen your book, what advice would you give to that person that works for a boss that's in that uh, 82, 80, whatever percent, that, yeah. that people say, this is not a great boss. And you're totally right, by the way, communication is the number one thing, not clear expectations, person goes off, does what they think, comes back, manager's upset you didn't do what i asked i mean you i love the receipt thing that was like brilliant um but okay i work for a boss i'm not happy how do i get my how do i get by it great question and you remind me of, of uh the fact that i think it was Edwards Deming, who said, you know, you put a good person in a bad system and the bad system wins every time. And so unfortunately, so many of our systems are so challenging the way you're describing it, Evan. So I'll go back to something and you were talking about having some people on your show from uh, Franklin Covey. And I'm a huge fan of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. And, you know, Covey was the one who popularized the whole idea of circle of influence and circle of concern. And I think where you start, if you're committed to doing this on your own, is you start within your own circle of influence. So do you start to role model the type of leadership that you want to be? Because I think for many of us, particularly, you know, we're mid-level managers. Well, we have teams and we certainly influence the way that works downstream. And then the real art and challenge of this is how do you influence someone who isn't that way? And part of it is learning how to manage up. So, for example, if my boss says, hey, Alain, you know, I need this by 4 p.m. this afternoon. I mean, the easy way to go is like, OK, fine. And I just take it. And now it's the monkey is on my back as opposed to going, well, I understand you want this by four o'clock and you know, notice I didn't say but, <laughs> so yeah. and, is uh, so given the parameters of this, it's going to take this amount of research and, and for me to be able to do this by four o'clock today to the level of quality that I think we both agree it needs, I'm going to need three other people. I need one person to do the research, I need one person to do the design work, and one person to put the spreadsheets together. Is that something that we can do? So we, and part of that is getting out of this belief, and this goes back to the industrial age, that management or leadership tells us what to do and our job as workers or labor is to shut up and do it and we have to have these much more adult to adult dialogues 
about what's possible. You were talking about the millennials, about the willingness to question things, to challenge things, to clarify things. The fact is, a lot of us work for people who aren't great communicators. And so if we're on the hook for the results in some part, the onus and the responsibility is on us to clarify. It's amazing how many people I talk to say, well, you know, the boss never made anything clear, so I didn't do it. Like, you could have asked. And ultimately, we have to step out of the victim mentality that somehow if they're not giving me what I need, then I just can't do it. And look, the ultimate question is, if it is so painful for you that this organization is so stuck in the mud, that your leader is so bad, why do you choose to continue to work there? Because that is a choice. And that is sometimes, I know I get it's a really hard choice that it deals with salaries and mortgages and people's lives. And if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, we look at the average age of employees, 21 to 34, they only expect to be working in any particular organization for 3.8 years. So the fact is, if we don't create the environment that works for us, then we should start looking for a place that will it, will it, will it work. And that starts back to the circle of influence and, and doing what you can in the place that you can do it. I think that was an excellent answer. And um, I, do, I do think you can change up by mirroring, by being the example. Interested in Tortle's learning management system? Why not try it for free today? Tortle is offering a free LMS for up to 25 users. With Tortle's easy-to-use self-authoring tool and free quick start guide, you'll have courses up in no time. Sign up today and you'll experience one of the easiest to use LMSs in the marketplace today. To learn more, visit tortle.com forward slash LMS. What I'd like to explore now a little bit more is listening. Because I believe that this is one of the biggest problems in business. Um, I think your example with the receipts is a really good, you know, a really good tip. Um, but let me just start with, because I think it's important, why, why is listening such a big problem? And what are maybe some other tips you could share on listening? Because I think it is one of the biggest issues that we have. In this. Yeah, what a good, juicy question, Evan. I love this one. Yeah, listening. I don't think listening is the problem. It's the lack of listening for sure. And here's the thing about listening is, you know, as we think about leadership, you know, at the end of the day, leadership is not a job title. It's not a position. It's not something on your business card. It is a relationship between two people, the person who leads and the person who chooses to follow. And I do believe that following in this day and age of engagement and discretionary effort, it's a choice. And so for me, I think what gets in the way of listening and not just listening, because we can all fake listen. I think we've all mastered the skill of fake listening. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. And then move on. That's not what we're talking about. I think what you're saying is that deep listening, and I'll call it empathic listening, the willingness to really see things the way somebody else sees them and care how they feel, which involves empathy. And there are definitely some things that get in the way. Number one, time. The fact is, so much of our business life moves at the speed of light, right? You get 400 emails in your inbox in a day, you're moving, you're moving. So information can travel at the speed of light. But human relationships travel at the speed of matter. Relationships move much more slowly, and it takes time 
for people to start to settle into a real relationship, whether that's one-on-one, face-to-face, or even virtual via Zoom, whatever, we have to take some time. And if we don't have the patience for it, other people can smell that out in an instant. I mean, we know when someone's not listening to us. We can tell when they're just ready to move on and get with their agenda, or they've already made up their mind, and now they're coming in to say, now, what do you all think? When, in fact, we know that they don't care. So that's what I call pseudo-consensus. Like, don't even bother. Look, if you've got your mind made up, don't bother having the meeting. Like, we don't have to pretend this is democracy, because it's not. At the same time, the challenge is, with listening, is how do we make people feel valued? So the number one is we've got to slow down. The other thing that's a real trap for many leaders is many of us have been educated in a system where we thought there was right answers and wrong answers. And a lot of us in the business world were really good at that. We were good students. We got good grades. We got good degrees. We went out to good colleges and universities. And now we've got these good jobs. And we got rewarded for having the right answers. Well, we get so attached to our own version of right that when somebody disagrees with that right answer, we're so quick to cut them off, which keeps us from listening to them all the way because we've already jumped to our own conclusion that I'm right, I know where this is going, and now you're wasting my time, right? So those two things go hand in hand, the right-wrong trap. And another big thing about getting in the way of listening and really listening with empathy particularly is a lot of people in the business world still are really afraid of emotion, uh, feelings, right? If I ask people how they feel, you know what might happen? This is this guy, Bob, I was working with a a consultant. He's actually a director of a consulting firm. He said, if I ask my people how they feel, you know what might happen a lot? They might tell me. I don't think I want all that information, right? And so we have to realize that people like Bob have this limiting belief, which is work is a place where you, and you probably have heard this, Evan, because you're of the same generation as I am, check your feelings at the door, right? We don't bring in feelings to the workplace. We have a check your feelings at the door policy, which is really funny if you stop and think about it, because you can't actually check your feelings at the door. What you can do is you can suppress your feelings at the door, which is precisely what is happening. So a great study by Deloitte found that 61% of the U.S. workforce covers their identity in some way. That is, they wear a mask because they don't think it's safe for them to bring their whole selves to work. So whether we're trainers leading a class and wanting to engage and include people, whether we're leaders trying to engage and include our team members to bring their best selves, to bring out their best ideas, what do we do so that we're not falling into these traps around feelings or impatience that get in the way of listening, really listening with the goal of understanding? I love when you started to talk about, uh, first off, I loved everything you said. I don't why <laughs> that, that it was all bad, but this. Uh, and, and I think, you know, people do listen with righteousness and people, you know, are very concerned about what other people think, um, which caused a great, uh, great uh, dysfunction. Yeah. But, you know, when I read the pre-brief for this, you really talked about listening and developing empathy. Yes. And if you could go a little deeper into that, because I do think that's, you know, to me, when someone knows how much you care as a leader and you've developed real empathy so that there's a relationship there, and I'm not talking about a personal relationship, but a working relationship where the people that you're leading get that you you are 
truly looking after everyone's best interest and the company's best interest and, and that you that they there is a high level of trust and empathy it makes a huge difference so maybe talk about how you listening and and building empathy because i think that would be interesting oh absolutely evan so yeah they're so well connected i mean to me connection comes from listening with purpose and that's what is the that is the fast track to empathy and again defining empathy as showing people that you understand them and that you care how they feel and what's amazing and a good litmus test for any of us is when you're going into a conversation if you're not curious it's a pretty good chance you're not empathetic so curiosity is such an important piece in this I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with the work of Carol Dweck in her landmark book, Mindset. So this whole growth mindset is about being curious, that fluid, that flexibility in terms of really wondering what people think. So the willingness to be curious and to listen with purpose, to understand how people feel. I'm sure you probably know the quote from Maya Angelou who said, people don't care what you did. They won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Because as much as we like to think that we're these rational beings, in fact, we are driven, human beings are driven by our emotions. And the fact is, what we do, and we know that people care about how we feel, we, our central nervous systems start to relax. And the way I explain this best, Evan, is, you know, I'm sure there are leaders that you've worked with in your life, and they're the type of people when you're around them, they make you feel smart. And you know, the, the other leaders, when you're around them, they make you feel not so smart, right? And like, we know it's, and it's still, it's us. So what's going on there? It's because there's something in that relationship that they are not listening with purpose. They haven't helped us to feel what Amy Edmondson would call psychological safety, right? We need to create that safety. And so for me, empathy starts with the deep listening, listening with purpose, being curious, the willingness to step into someone else's shoes. Because when you do that, you get three huge benefits. Number one, you get trust. And, you know, there's great studies that high trust workplaces outperform low trust. I think it was, there's a study of 286%, and I have the actual citation in the book, but yeah, 286% high trust over low trust. So that's one big piece. Another big piece is you get insights because people suddenly will share things with you that if they didn't feel so connected to you, they wouldn't. And the third one is you get innovation because people feel willing to share ideas. So I want to tell you a story that brings this, this piece around empathy to life. So I was working with a woman and she was, at the time I met her, she was actually an executive VP of marketing for a global department store franchise. But she was telling me a story about the first time that she really got the importance of empathy. And at the time, she was the manager of a cosmetics counter. At, at her at the department store way down this is 20 years earlier in her career and so the girls she called them girls the young women i should call them the young women who worked at on the cosmetics counter they would give makeovers to the, the customers and that's what their main job was to give makeovers and then to sell cosmetics and she had this one young woman who was working for her who was really good with customers but she noticed that she would come in she'd work on tuesdays and wednesdays and Thursdays, and on Tuesday and Wednesday, her uniform was fine, but on Thursdays, her uniform was always really dirty, and to the point where she noticed it, and she thought, you know, we have standards. You, you can't come in and have this dirty uniform, and so she gave her this warning, and the, the woman said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and so it happened again, and she's like, I have to let this woman go, 
And so she decided she was going to, she was going to have the talk. It was going to be the talk. We're going to have to let you go. And as she went over to her, she just got this sixth sense that like, Hey, there's something going on here. And so instead of firing her, she said, you know, I'm talking to you at your uniform. I, I want to find out what's really going on because I brought this up to you before. I need to know what is really going on. Well, this young woman who at the time was about 19, just owned, she shared her honest truth, which was she had been living on her own. Her parents had basically disowned her and her younger brother. So her younger brother was three years younger than her. When they were 11 and 14, she was basically living out on the streets with her brother for two years. And then basically she was the family now breadwinner at the age of 19, living in a room with no hot water. And basically she was working a bunch of jobs and so she didn't have the capacity, the physical capacity to wash the uniforms for Thursday. She could always get it done for Tuesday and Wednesday, but there was this no way, which is why this was happening. And when the manager heard this, she went, oh my gosh, would it be helpful? I know it's not policy, but if I gave you two more uniforms, that would make all the difference. Mm. Well, she did. She did. And the amazing thing is that young woman is now a manager within the company. She's been there for 15 years since. And she is now married, has her kids of her own. And she said, that moment taught me so much that there's always a story behind the story. And if we're not sensitive and empathic enough to listen for it, we'll miss it. Because that day could have gone very different for me. So it's just a great example of the power of empathic listening. So let me shift gears with you a little bit here. Um, there are different personality types. People, you know, Myers-Briggs, DISC, there are, there are hundreds of these profiles out there that talk about yeah. different personality types. How do you take what you're talking about and apply it based on the personality type of the person you're talking to? Or do you? Absolutely you can. So here's the wonderful thing about human beings is that there's not a one size fits all to leadership, just like there's not a one size fits all to a great trainer in a classroom. The idea is that the idea is to get self aware of what are your strengths and how can you bring out more of them. So if we look at the principles of connection, communication and collaboration, there's not a one size fits all to connection. So some people might be really extroverted and want to be doing things and we can call them. They're the cheerleader, the cruise director for the group and like, let's go do this. Yeah, yeah. Other people are much more reserved and soft spoken, but there are ways that they can connect potentially on a very different level from the cheerleader. So I think it's finding your own style that works for you. And one of the best ways to find out what works for you isn't just what works for you, it's what works for the other people that you're leading, is to ask for feedback. Again, going back to our earlier conversation, so many leaders don't get honest, timely feedback. And feedback isn't about waiting for a year for an, a formal performance review. It's an informal conversation. Hey, what worked well there? Hey, what could I do that would make it even better next time? Because when you do that, then you can be more fluid and adjust. So there really isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm a big believer that we have to understand what our personal brand is. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, likes to say that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Well, as leaders or anyone who wants to be better, we want to get conscious of what are people saying. And so why don't we go and ask them instead of trying to guess or read minds. And then once we have that data, then we can start to create a plan so that who we think we are is more aligned with how we're showing up to close the gap between what we intend and how we're being perceived. Hmm, very interesting. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you 
what your suggestions are in the middle of such economic chaos and a pandemic, what your advice is to people in leadership and how to adapt to, let's say, a fast-paced changing environment. Yeah. So great question. And this is, this has been the work I've been writing a bun- bunch of articles uh, on this subject. So in the last few months, the number one thing as leaders in the midst of a pandemic like this, the first thing just to recognize is that what we're going through, and I, you've heard the word unprecedented, I'm sure dozens of times already. It is, it's unprecedented. And we are experiencing a global collective trauma. I mean, there's no bones about it. The fact is trauma is defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Well, I think COVID-19 checks all that box, right? Yeah. So this is, a, this is a trauma. And understanding a little bit about trauma doesn't mean you have to be a psychologist. It helps to be an empathic human being. But just to understand how do people respond to trauma? Different people respond in different ways. Some people get really stressed out. We talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. There's also post-traumatic growth disorder or order, we should say. So the idea here is that people are going to respond differently. And what's important more than anything else as leaders is to normalize other people's experience. In other words, to say, you know, you're not feeling okay, that's okay, is to let people know. And in fact, you can model that in saying, you know, here's how my life feels all weird and screwed up. And I'm trying to do my work and homeschool my first grader at the same time. So first, normalize people's experience. The next thing is don't plot on like this is business as usual. It's not. So get really clear on what are the priorities and are you, you know, the corporate world is so well known for, and another thing, let's put more on our plates. This is a time to really step back and go, what do we need to take off the plate so we can focus on what is truly important? So that's another big piece. And then... Another one is what are you doing to for yourself first and then for your team, what are you doing to build resilience? And that is through self-care, through giving yourself breaks. So one thing I'm suggesting to a lot of clients I'm working with, because a lot of people are talking about Zoom fatigue, for example, is are you still scheduling meetings for 60 minutes? Why? And what are you thinking? Because all that's going to do is lead to diminished results and burnout. Like you should be scheduling meetings for 45 or 50 minutes and give people 10 minutes to recover because we, we don't sustain well in general, but particularly now when we're under this added stress, the levels of stress hormones, that is adrenaline and cortisol are much higher and it leads to what's called allostatic load. And it basically starts to break down the body's immune systems, which makes us more susceptible to be getting sick and feeling stressed out. So there are many things we can do in terms of self-care. And I think it's so important for leaders to model this for other people. So are you, for example, are you sending emails to people at 11 o'clock at night? If you are, send them to your draft folder and send them out at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. during business hours. Like people's routines have been upended. All of our usual rituals, whether that's commute or the walk into the office, are gone. And so that was all stuff that used to happen unconsciously that now people are having to use cognitive bandwidth to put back together. I'm having to work from home. I have to decide with my spouse who's going to get the office, the, the kitchen table for this many hours while who's going to watch the kids. I mean, there's so much going on. You know, and we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. This is why listening with empathy and taking time and three simple questions to ask your people. Number one, how are you feeling right now? 
Number two, what's on your mind? What's going on or what's distracting you? And number three, how can I support you? Or how can we in the organization support you? And if you need a little subtext for those three questions, after you ask the question, remind yourself, shut up and listen. Shut up and listen, <laughs> right? So, right? So that's it. Two that's years, the listening. Exactly. So this is where the curiosity and the listening with purpose and the empathy comes in. Because at the end of this, when we come out the other side of this coronavirus pandemic, and I know we will, I don't know when, but we will, no one is ever going to come back and say, gosh, Evan, as a leader, he was way too caring about me. He showed way too much empathy. He was way too human. This is a time for us as leaders to lean into our humanity and to be exceptionally human. And we do that through connection. We do that through communication. We do that through collaboration. We do it through being humans. That's how we do it. It's really simple, but it's not so easy. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, we probably over time. <laughs> but um, I know you have an offer for everyone. And I know people are going to want to know how to connect with you. So if you could share that information, I really appreciate it. Sure thing, Evan. Yeah, so it's been such a pleasure, first of all, being with you. Yeah, if people want to learn more, the easiest place to go is the book has its own website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. While you're there, you can learn all about the book and you can download the first chapter and preview the book before you buy it. You can also check out, that'll take you right to my website, so you can check out all of my training, coaching, consulting services. If you have questions, I've got articles. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can contact me, shoot me an email. Happy to reach out and see how I can support you on your own or your team's leadership development journey. Do you have an audio book? This book, Cracking Leadership Code, is available in audio, and you can find that anywhere you buy books. So if you go to the crackingleadershipcode.com website, you can buy the book uh, from Barnes & Noble or Amazon or through IndieBound, which is the network of independent booksellers. And you can buy either the audio or you can buy the, uh, the text version. Cool. Love audio yeah. books. Yeah. Um, you've been a pleasure. I have to ask, I always ask every guest, what is the one tip, there's one takeaway you would like to share with everyone? Great question. So what I find is as a leader, and there's tons of tips, right? There's like you know, there's a million different tips that we can. If I had to kind of look at the big overarching thing, the number one thing that I would do if I wanted to become a better leader is I would find opportunities to ask and receive feedback. I think it is the fast track to leadership development. I believe all leadership development starts with personal development. And asking for personal feedback is the way to do that. So find people who will give you not what you think they want you to hear, but give you the unvarnished truth. It is so important to have people like that in your corner because they are going to help you grow more than anybody else. It won't necessarily be comfortable, but it will be the best thing for you in the long run. So ask for feedback. You know, it's, it's interesting you, you say this and share this because um, – I'm constantly in personal development. I'm constantly looking to become a better person. Um, and I always looked at listening as my, one of my great strengths. Very strong listener. Listen for why people are right. Um, you know, listen with empathy. Have open conversations. All of these things. And so anyhow, in the leadership development program that I'm in, because I'm constantly looking to get better, yeah. They challenged us to go and get feedback from five people that we thought maybe we didn't connect with well and five people we did connect with well. 
and maybe I'm not so such as good a listener as I thought I was. <laughs> and you know, a lot of things that you said earlier on, you know, like, well, Evan, you know, you're I'm talking to you, but maybe your head someplace else. You know, re you know, really, really, really came out, or you, you you don't you don't have enough time. You're not checking back. I'm I'm not sure that we really had an understanding or an agreement. All the things you're talking about just came back to me. So I will take your tip. I'm going to raise the ante and encourage everyone here who's listening to go out and ask for feedback from five people that they think they just get along with like really well in terms of listening and five people that they don't think. And it'll be amazing because you're going to learn just as much from the people that you think you have great listening to. So that's an amazing tip. Uh, on behalf of Training Unleashed, the C-Suite Network, uh, thank you so much for being our guest. I want to thank our listeners for listening. And everyone have a fantastic day. Thank you, Evan. It's really been my pleasure. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.